Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This week, we're talking about postbacs, and we have a special guest, Dr. Bob Rarig from Temple University. So it's going to be a pretty exciting episode. If you have any inclination that perhaps you're not ready yet for whatever your goal is, this is a really important episode to listen to. Postbacs are really powerful option for students to be able to access these really competitive processes. They're not the right choice for everybody, but they are certainly the right choice for many students. So let's go ahead and dive on in. Hello, and welcome back to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journey to acceptance. I am one of this week's hosts, John Moses Bronson, and I'm again joined by my colleague, Kimberly Johnson. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. So we're recording this the day after Easter. How was Easter weekend for you? Uneventful. Oh. Well, I mean... Did Thomas get anything exciting? <laughs> Thomas is sick. <gasps> no. So, yes. Uh, he did do a little bit of his first Easter egg hunt. Mm-hmm. He had some yogurt drops, freeze-dried yogurt drops in mm-hmm. some eggs that I hid. Oh. Some air quotes there. <laughs> they were He's just won. about. <laughs> they were They were just about, you know, a little, like, on the steps, and uh-huh. like, you know, corner of a chair, things like that, so accessible he's just not yes (laughs) my sister did the same thing with one of her her littlest is just so little but she loved it best time ever gave in and didn't get him an easter outfit this year as much as it killed me (laughs) (laughs) all right so folks we are joined this week by dr bob rarick bob why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners let them know who you are Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. My name is Bob Brerig. I'm actually a, a Penn State alum. I graduated in 2003, so it's uh, 20 years ago in a few days here. Yeah. And uh, I was a chemistry major. I got my PhD in organic chemistry, and uh, I started my teaching career in Philadelphia. I joined the chemistry faculty at Temple University, mm-hmm. where I was invited to be a part of their uh, their postback program from a curriculum designing and teaching and also administrative uh, parts of things mm-hmm. or side of things. And uh, I was recently named the second director of the program. Nice. And uh, our postback program has a career changer track and an academic enhancer track. Uh, both of them are full-time mm-hmm. programs uh, designed to mimic the first year of professional schools, as that is one of the biggest questions that professional schools have about uh, non-traditional or postback applicants is, are they ready for that first year of, yeah. of, uh, of our programming? So, yeah, happy to be here and Happy to chat postbacks. All right. So let's start with some like very simple basics because, you know, our listeners are going to be coming to this with all different levels of awareness of what the heck postbacks are. At, at its base level, from your perspective working in one, what is a postback program? And I know that's a big question. Yeah, it is. It's a bigger question than anybody uh, really 
can believe when they first ask it or mm -hmm. or uh, I think the number one thing is that not all postback programs are the same. Yeah. Um, postback literally just means, you know, after baccalaureate work. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people think, well, well that it has to be a master's degree or mm -hmm. uh, or graduate school. Uh, there's a lot of postback programs out there that are their undergraduate level coursework, mm -hmm. but because they already have a bachelor's degree, even though you're taking undergraduate level courses, uh, it's still postback work. So yeah. it literally just means after bachelor's yeah. is is the broadest accurate definition, and from there, everything gets way more complex. Yeah. So and you know, obviously for today, we're really talking about this through like a pre-health professions lens. So, sure. So students who want to go into the health professions, there are many types of post-bac programs for all different types of careers, but your program in particular is more health professions based. A hundred percent. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the types that you run and the types of students that they would be good for? Sure. So we run two major tracks with different options. Mm -hmm. So the, the two tracks are, as I, I briefly mentioned, so there's the career changer track, and this is for folks who have taken none of the prereq classes, or at least very few of the prereq classes that are needed for like med school, dental school, PA mm -hmm. school. Those are the those are the most popular of the, the flavors of any of our tracks. Um, the other is an academic enhancer track, and this is for folks who have been pre-med, pre-dent for either the entirety or uh, just what they ended on mm -hmm. with their undergraduate work. They've taken all the prereqs and something didn't go the way they wanted it to mm -hmm. or as well as they'd hoped, and they need uh, another opportunity to prove themselves. Yeah. And so academic enhancer programs are never going to be... Oh, just retake classes that you took as a freshman and get A's instead of a C plus this time. It's really about, all right, freshman, sophomore year, the priorities weren't there, whether it was an awareness thing, a maturity thing, uh, you know, illnesses happen, personal family illnesses, those kinds of things. Uh, we see it all the time. The but it's important that you prove yourself doing more difficult coursework than what you were expected to do as a freshman. You know, once you have a bachelor's degree, if you're getting A's in Gen Chem 1, mm -hmm. I mean, good. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's that's kind of not the point. It's like you don't take the SAT after college to prove that you're good at a standardized test. <laughs> you take the GRE or you take, yeah. you know, the MCAT or the DAT. And so our academic enhancer program, it's all high level bio and biochem courses, because, mm -hmm. again, that is the stepping stone in terms of content and in terms of rigor that, again, they're trying to prove that they're ready to face um, in med school dental school, PA school. And so uh, so those are the two tracks. And then the, the quote unquote flavors that I was talking about, this <laughs> is the pre-med versus pre-dent versus pre-PA. Yeah. Uh, the temple programs, we do have different curricula for mm -hmm. the different tracks. Pre-med and dent is pretty darn similar. Uh, well, we that have, makes sense. We have a, a spatial visualization course for our pre-dents because mm -hmm. it's a big component of the DAT. Yeah. Uh, and then the... The pre-PA track is a little bit more customized because PA schools are so different from each other. There's yeah. a lot, um, there's a lot of standardization that we wish the PA schools had. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's just not there. Very picky about what labs are taken in high-level uh, biology classes and things like that. Um, but yeah, so basic core, ad advanced core, uh, which is career changer. 
an academic enhancer track and then whatever your chosen pursuit is. We also are happy to support folks who are pre-farm, pre-vet, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. We just don't see a whole lot of them. Yeah. what's What always sticks out to me about Temple is that you have a lot of different options for students in terms of post-bacs. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, at other institutions, and this is not a knock against them, they might have like one version of a post-bac for a particular population. So as students are sort of shopping, quote unquote, for what the right programs are, I honestly, I, I usually will send students to take a look at Temple's offerings first because there are so many different ways to do that because it's not even just the CST programs and, and for our listeners who don't know that's the name of the college that offers it because you know there's also Kornberg the school of dentistry has huh. another separate post back which is different and it's for a different kind of student yep. as well mm-hmm. and um, the uh, oh gosh what is the name of the medical school Lewis Katz Lewis Katz <laughs> they have their own program right and again it's for a different population. And I think that's where a lot of students get so worried about what choices they make. And I think it sometimes scares them away from post-bac programs is because choosing the wrong one is just as damaging as not doing the, you know, as, as like doing nothing sometimes. Right. And, and they're spending time, money and effort. Yeah. And pouring it into something if if it if they made a poor choice so about how, what to invest in oh, is yeah, they're that's a that's that's tough to tough to hear about. Yeah. And so if when you're talking with students, because we refer <laughs> I can't speak for Kimberly, but I send a <laughs> lot of students to you to have a conversation about postbacks more generally. Uh-huh. If you're meeting with a student, like how do you sort of approach that conversation to help them understand their options? Yeah, so it it all it really kind of all hinges on the student's ability to honestly evaluate themselves in mm-hmm. terms of where they are yeah. on their journey, which I'm sure I don't need to tell you. Um, it's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, someone's going to listen to a med school rep. Mm-hmm. Like my students are going to listen to a med school rep more than they're going to listen to me because med school is where they want to go. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like I have that advantage when I'm talking with, with undergraduate students because I am where they want to go to get to it, where they want to go. And so yeah. they might um, they might open up a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, to me. But I'll, I'll, I speak about what I'm sure you speak uh, to students about, which mm-hmm. is, you know, tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell me what are your goals. Yeah. Tell me how you feel you're on your way with goals. And um, it's I what I'm kind of listening for in those conversations is is this person have they quote unquote matured from for those freshman sophomore years, which it could have just been like I'm doing this because this is what you do to go to med school. Uh-huh. And have they personalized it a little bit more? Have they realized that, that there's there's quality that is to be kind of taken out of these experiences, whether it's a class that maybe might not be your favorite mm-hmm. or, you know, another prereq that maybe one thinks is unfair that it's it's part of this process or something like that. And it's really about 
this is a really difficult journey. Mm-hmm. Where am I on it, and what do I need to do to, you know, rise through the the competitive ranks, so to speak? And so I'm listening for that kind of awareness. But what I'm telling them, especially, um, I think a a good rule for folks to hear in a in a safe setting is, you know. First off, if you're a freshman or a sophomore and you're thinking about a post program, you should really be thinking about finding academic coaching, uh, <laughs> developing better learning skills, time management. Um, and sometimes they just stop by a table at a conference and they just, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is, explain it to us. And, and we're always happy to do that, of course. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, grades are real. The, yeah. the significance of grades is real. Yeah. You don't have to be a 4.0 student the entire time, but a post-bac program and a med school, they're, they're, they're all going to look for upwards trajectories mm-hmm. at the end of, of undergraduate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, and if, if the, if the, if the trajectory is not there or it's just like one really good semester right at the end, which is great. Like they, they just figured it out. Yeah. That's exciting. It's not going to be enough. Yeah. And, um, in terms of one's personal narrative about where they are on this professional journey, if someone has, you know, a two, eight, two, seven, two, six GPA, overall science, whatever the case may be, it's really, it's really important that they take some time away from school mm-hmm. and really dive into the professional world of healthcare and really experience what that is on a daily basis in day in day in and day excuse me day in and day out because yeah. um when they do a postback program postback programs are not band-aids no you know they're not just oh you paid for a postback program well then of course well, we'll then, then who cares about your two five <laughs> in undergrad that's that's yeah. not what it's about it it is you know, people think that they might be just paying for an acceptance of, of an eventual acceptance, and that is so not what it is. Yeah. And so it's important to, when you go through something as challenging as a full on almost med school curriculum, mm-hmm. you need to have motivation that's going to get you through those dark days yeah. of grinding. Because, you know, it's like a New Year's resolution, right? Like everybody's pumped about it the first few weeks, and then, oh, yeah. I have other things that I'd rather be doing, but at the same time, I'm doing this for other reasons. And, you know, grinding through that's a lot easier when you have three years of experience that has given you this deep-seated purpose and awareness, whereas, like, I just want to go to med school as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the the timing thing is, is one of the worst parts about about the professional school application processes because everybody's looking at other people going, well, they got in then, I want to get in then. Yeah. And if, if they're behind a semester, it means you're behind a year and now, oh, I'm so old. I'm so <laughs> old. I, I have to go next year or I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm just so far behind. And I, I understand that when you're 21, a year feels a lot longer than when you're 42. I do mm-hmm. understand that. Um, but the reality is, is just because somebody else got in, quote unquote, on time, has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It has, other than like that's what you want. Yeah. And so, um, you know, realizing what mistakes were made, learning from those mistakes, and kind mm-hmm. of bottling up 
the the lessons to apply to the future and then just letting the heck go of the past is the healthiest way to go with that and so i'm i know that this i've been rambling for your question <laughs> but you know when i talk to them these are the kinds of things that we talk about um and and sometimes it well, quite often people don't like what they hear yeah um one thing i would i would basically beg students to do who know they need a post back program is do not sit for the MCAT just hoping that it's going to fix everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it and cannot it be understated. It cannot be understated how important it is to make sure that you take the MCAT just once if your grades weren't great the whole time. Like anybody who's who's pursuing a post back program and they haven't taken the MCAT yet that's a good thing. Please, (laughs) please don't take the MCAT to get into a post-bac program. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is no such thing as a post-bac program entrance exam. Yeah. It's a med school entrance exam. The DAT is a dental school entrance exam. Um, And and, I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking it before the post-bac program, but you should only be taking it because it's going to be the score that's going to get you into med school. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, I want to go MD. Um, uh, so I waited until I'm I'm hitting five twelves on my MCATs. Mm-hmm. So if I have a bad day, I'm still hitting five ten ish, and I've got a shot. And maybe I still need to do a post back and boost boost my GPA, prove myself in the classroom. Um, but it's 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 heartbreaking when somebody comes into our program and they literally just sat for the MCAT about a week before they interviewed with us. Yeah, there's this huge pressure on so many of our students to just try to be playing their YouTube video at 1.5 speed and Mm -hmm. that YouTube video is their life. They want to just get wherever they need to be as fast as they can. It's okay to like take your path at like one time speed or even like half time speed if that's what you need. Right. So you have hit on the importance of timing. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the range of applicants you see. Give me some perspective. How many of them are coming straight from undergrad thinking, I got to get this done, keep moving forward, keep moving forward? How many of them have had a little bit of a less traditional timeline? And I know you have two different programs that have that attract very different people, but sure. I also know that within that, there can be a big range. Yeah, I mean, we we have no shortage in in you know just diversity of of profiles mm-hmm. for sure. So I, I should I should say that our program is essentially a hundred percent focused on academic development and standardized test prep improvement. There are programs out there that try to mix everything in, so to speak. So we we do look for students who have a lot of the experiences that they're going to need to be competitive non-metrically mm-hmm. after the program because if anybody wants to apply to med school or dental school before or post back after they've done all that work they're going to want to apply you know a hundred times more but if if they've come into a, an academic opportunity with very little experiences to talk about they're going to have to take more time after the post-bac program anyway, but no one actually wants to after they work so darn hard. And mm-hmm. I don't, 
I don't judge them that, but it doesn't doesn't change it. So what I will say is, so I'll start off with the basic core for you, our career changers. So there are people who, who they're, they have a driving force that is either a personal illness or maybe a family event that exposed them to a hospital and like, you know, a life was saved. This is very, very powerful. And this is why they feel this is the way to go. And they want to pivot away from a career that they've, you know, been pursuing at least for a year or two, usually out, out of undergrad. And these can be some of our best students. They can, they can also be some of our most frustrated because again, that kind of grind that I was talking mm-hmm. about. Um, for our program, we don't, we won't say no to a person who has no experience, but we do interview for our program. And so there's got to be some level of awareness that comes through on the interview day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, so we, we all, we have high flyers, you know, people are like, oh, 4-0, crush the SAT. Uh, it's still not a foregone conclusion because they might have been, say, a philosophy major and mm-hmm. general chemistry is a far cry from philosophy. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest X factor with basic core or career changing students is math. Um, our post program does not require calculus. Our physics is algebra-based. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody really wanted to know, like, well, how do you how how do you feel like you're ready for an academic or excuse me, a career-changing post I would say, if you if you were really good at algebra or at least okay at pre-calc, you know, then your your number literacy is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's been a while, it's not that it's not doable, but there's going to be a steeper learning curve in Gen Chem yeah. and, and physics could be more of a challenge. Um, so in terms of, I believe what you were driving at, I think the biggest game changer for for uh, career changers is, is the, the comfort level with math. And then with our academic enhancers, our advanced core students, that's where you see all kinds of of just different makeups of, of profiles. So you have people who, so I, I think of, I think of our academic enhancers as kind of like the minor leagues. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a baseball fan and, you know, like they're all professional baseball players, right? But there's the major leagues, like the, the show, so to speak, right? That's med school. And then, you know, there's, there might be more than three now, but there used to just be three levels of minor leagues where like mm-hmm. they were all solid. But, you know, in baseball, there, there's five tool players, you know, they can do it all. And like AAA, there's four tool players they are working on a fifth or, you know, something like that. And so you have people in a postback program who you're kind of shaking your head like, why aren't they just in med school already? Like they're, they just missed, they, 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 almost unlucky. Maybe they just applied, they overshot you know, mm-hmm. they didn't apply to more mid-range schools just to, to make sure maybe. And then you have people who really, really need to prove themselves um, after, you know, a really tough undergrad or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, uh, we've already touched on time being such a thing that it's, it's one of the hardest things for people to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell this to people on our interview day. A lot of people in the academic enhancer track need a post back because they tried to do too much. Mm-hmm. 
you see it all the time. I know I don't need to tell you. And the number one thing is to not do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, every time we have an interview day, almost without exception, there's somebody who's like, well, can I do research while I'm in the program? And and I will say, re- I, research is quite possibly the worst thing you could do in, in our post-bac program because it is full-time. It's such a mm-hmm. commitment to do well in, in the level of coursework that we ask of our students. Yeah. And there's one thing that all kinds of, like, I only really know about chemistry research in my background. Obviously, there's so many different kinds of researches, but they all have one thing in common. They all take an incredible amount of time. Yeah. And... Um, you know, and we we get the question all the time, but isn't research good? It's like, yeah, it is. The research is great, but you should either do it before or after a full time program mm-hmm. uh, like ours. And same thing with, you know, we we know <laughs> we know that everybody would rather be in a clinic working with patients than you know in the classroom learning genetics. Um. But the danger of like, oh, I just want to do some things to stay motivated is like, oh, I'll just do a few more hours. Oh, I'll just do a few more hours. Mm-hmm. And what always gives the thing that's less fun, which is the schoolwork. And yeah. so, um, yeah, so so even though we have so many different students with like a whole lot of experience, maybe a little bit of experience, maybe they're, they've already crushed it and they just need to crush it for one more year before getting in or they need to prove that they can crush it for the first time in really difficult classes. They're all in some kind of rush. Mm -hmm. And the more they can just take a deep breath, focus on the present, Mm -hmm. take care of that, you know, universally they're going to be better off in in that kind of way. My favorite data point that I talk about all the time that the oldest student to get an acceptance to medical school last year was 57. <laughs> so your feelings that like if you don't start medical school by your 25 are like so unfounded and mm-hmm. I get it. I get the rush. You're ready. You want to be serving people. You want to get to that end zone. But you cannot jump over 10 yards of the football field. You have to run through that part of the field. There's no fast forward button on your preparation. And if you haven't put in the proper work, you're going to get tackled. I hope I'm doing the sports metaphor well. <laughs> I'm not. We've talked about this but in the past. I'm not a sports ball person. But sports ball. I do love speaking in metaphor. So, Well, I think one thing that you might be lacking perspective on in your early 20s is that most of us, regardless of how old we are, are working towards the next big thing. Yeah. I mean, I once asked my 96-year-old grandmother, Oma, why are you always talking about dying and death? And she said, well, it's the next big thing. Like, you and your friends talk about weddings coming up, right? And I was like, okay, fair point. Um, <laughs> got it. Noted. It's a darker next big thing. It's but a darker it is a next, next big, big thing, thing. But, like, when, no matter where you are in your life, there's something that you're looking forward to, that you're working towards, that mm-hmm. you're anxious to achieve or accomplish or encounter experience whatever it is Mm -hmm. and so just reminding yourself that like that feeling just changes Mm -hmm. as you go through life it's this is it's it's early 20s iteration yeah well the other thing is is like if all you're doing is pressing the fast forward button you're missing out on the opportunities to build the skills and the tools 
for you to be a better professional in the future. Guess what's really unrelatable to patients? Never having struggled. Because guess Mm. what? Your patients are going to struggle. They're probably actively struggling, especially if they're in your office. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, unless you're doing primary care, nobody kind of just like pops in to be like, hey, dog, how's it going? I'm doing great. Things are awesome. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We go to the doctors often because there is some struggle. If you don't know how to relate to patients, if you can't talk about the fact that like, hey, you know, I this didn't come easy, but I worked really hard. And you know what? I figured out how to do it. That's super relatable. You know, and that doesn't that's not just medical school. That's dental school. That's PA school, because exactly what you were talking about earlier, Bob, of, you know, it's a grind and it's never going to stop. It's not like you stop taking exams mystically in the middle of your career as a as mm-hmm. a physician. I have watched mm-hmm. fully established physicians with teaching appointments at Ivy League institutions have the look of panic on their faces when they realize that they need to rejuggle their schedule to prepare for boards coming up because they've got to recertify. Like that's yeah. not going to go away. <laughs> yeah, it's important. And, you know, I, we talked about this in... I think just in the office, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. I was at this conference meeting up in Providence, Rhode Island at Brown University. And one of the things that they mentioned is that board pass rates are declining. These are professionals and their board pass rates are declining. And it's because they're trying to probably because they're trying to press that fast forward button on their preparation and it doesn't work it doesn't matter if you are at this step in your process where you're considering a post back or if you're a professional in the future the fast forward button makes you miss out on so much important parts of the pro so many important parts of the process i think i think it a lot of it also has to do with it, it is the it is the it is the desire that is the focal point mm-hmm like the desire needs to be the carrot at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But if, if all one thinks about is like, I want it and I don't have it. And oh my goodness, what if I don't get it when I want it? All of that, all of that is what if. Yeah. All of that is what if. And, and it, it really, it wastes time. It's not that I, I'm not trying to sound judgmental because I've done the same things. Mm-hmm. But, but you have to stop. You have to put those things aside as best you can and, and ask. I'm of the opinion that there is no better stress reliever than doing stuff. Just it's like, what I, did I do everything I wanted to do today? Probably not. But what did I do? I did a lot. And I'm going to work on that other stuff tomorrow kind of thing. I, I use a laundry analogy for this. It's like no one wants to do laundry, but the the more you let it pile up, the less you want to start. Mm-hmm. But when you finally do it, you're like, laundry is really not that hard. Like, why? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I just do the laundry? Yeah. And, and classwork is the same way. And it's easier said than done. But it, it really is just like, what are you doing right now that's going to help you get what you want? as soon as possible because mm-hmm. if all you're doing is thinking about how you want it you're not thinking about a whole lot of other stuff that's actually going to help you get it yeah i 
I sometimes phrase this as taking out the hypotheticals. So a lot of times I see my students focused a whole lot on the hypothetical and like, but what's real in this scenario? Are we focusing on the hypothetical? I might not get an A in this class. And then we're missing out on being able to go take advantage of the resources and go to office hours and all these other things. And you might actually get that A if you stop distracting yourself with all these hypotheticals and actually focus on what's happening in the moment. 100%. 100%. So I was trying to establish a little bit of a process here. I think what we have gotten to is the academics are one part of the preparation. Mm-hmm. And you've got individuals who have done all sorts of preparation outside of academics before they get to you. And then you have individuals who might have to push pause after they complete the academic portion and go out and really build from there. So what do timelines look like and how do you support students with all these different timelines not like the big timeline but like the more immediate timeline because i think probably once you get to the post back you're thinking okay when can i apply when can i apply like i'm doing the thing uh-huh. mm-hmm. let's do it let's finish this process yeah so 100 percent that you, you that's a very thorough description of exactly what's going on <laughs> <laughs> and so we tell our students from from interview day, uh, and we have orientation before every year. That let's let's push pause on all of those scenarios for the fall semester or the first the first semester <laughs> yeah. because our basic core does start in early May. So it's it's a twelve month program for our career changers. It's fall spring for our advanced core. But anyway, the first semester, it's very much. Look, you're, you're, you chose us because we told you about our academic design. That's why you're here. So we promise you you're not behind on anything. Just go do it. If you're a career changer, dive on into Gen Chem 1. Figure out what it's like to take an undergraduate college level science course. Um, there's a heck of a learning curve there. Um, with our academic enhancers, one of the biggest differences, some of them are coming straight out of undergrad and some of them have been out of school seven, eight, nine, ten years. And, um, or at least out of undergrad, you know, they might have taken some some graduate courses here and there. So the, the first rule is g- give us one semester of full on just proving it finding your academic rhythm in this greater challenge of a setting because i've never i i i've never spoken to one of our academic enhancers and heard like oh no this is easier than undergrad um it's all harder and so then in the spring that's when we start to include um, some kaplan coursework Uh, we have a very structured schedule so we can kind of insert it in there and it's like you know because it is important that you start doing some mcat prep earlier than you know mid-may when when finals are all over yeah um we have we have group advising workshops for kind of the now it's time to start thinking about this mm-hmm. um kind of a timeline and we have drop-in appointments that students can you know if they've really got you know because we it's easy for me to say that but yeah when they come in they're like when do i apply no seriously though uh, yeah I, I get that academic <laughs> rhythm but when do i apply now tomorrow should i have already done it what is like and and so we have those conversations more one-on-one 
and where we'll talk about the big the bigger picture um since now that i've i've um come into the director position we're going to be focusing a lot more on narrative early on because um that's that's really what all this holistic evaluation is about and it it's going to come through in particular on the interview day but it can also manifest in the the application process too and so i'm i'm thinking about doing you know earlier bigger picture just like just to you know communicate we know we know what's coming yeah we know the timeline Mm -hmm. And look, it's months and months away. Like it's so far away. Don't worry about it. We're going to have seminars, though, so you can start thinking about the things that you need to be thinking about when you're tired of the the science grind mm-hmm. and you want to do something productive that feels like you're you're still progressing on on like toward your goal. Yeah, it, it makes sense, right? It's this battle that students are fighting between things that are super abstract and that are super concrete. Things like logistics are super concrete. Mm-hmm. There's a specific yes. opening date. There is a transmission date of mm-hmm. data. These are all very concrete things. You need this many letters of recommendation from these sorts of people, so you need to do X. Here's some general timeline. These are concrete things. Mm-hmm. You know what's not concrete? Mastery of organic chemistry. It's rather <laughs> abstract, right? So it, it makes sense in my brain that students aren't talking. And finding your academic rhythm is an abstract construction. Right. So I get why it's like not like exciting. Mm-hmm. But if you do not master those abstract constructions, you are going to struggle so hard when you go to the next step. And you've said this multiple times. This is not a silver bullet. You're building new skills. Right. That might not be how students are viewing what it is. And I I think it's very much being presented as an opportunity. But one of the things I tell a lot of my students is that they're building new skills that they need Mm -hmm. because they have not demonstrated their usage of those skills before. And postbacs are here to teach you these new skills. I I think that's what makes me most nervous about postbacks, honestly, okay. is that I'm trying not to bring them up at a point in my conversation with a student before I've gotten a sense of what you mentioned earlier, which is self-awareness and maturity. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as they hear it, if they don't have that required level of self-awareness and maturity, they see it as a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. And I think the self-awareness and the maturity is what actually tells them like, oh, this is an opportunity, but it's going to require everything that I've got in yeah. order for it to actually result in what I'm working towards. It's, it's a high risk. It is. To do. It's a I, high reward, but it's a high risk. I really like, I really like what you said about, uh, you know, it's not exciting. Mm-hmm. I th- and I think that's where the experience in healthcare comes in. Mm-hmm. It's not exciting. It's not. It's not house. It's not scrubs. <laughs> no. It's it's not ER. Although ER is old by you and my standards, so I don't know if kids <laughs> today know what ER is. But it's on the streaming services. There we maybe. go. <laughs> um, but but the thing that's the thing. It's it's it, it's anybody who thinks that being a doctor is just getting paid well and being thanked for saving them. If 
I don't care if you're post back non-traditional or traditional. If that's if that's why you're doing it, when you get there, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. And um, that's true of all health professions, but yeah. Oof. All professions. All professions. <laughs> yes. We certainly experienced that in our jobs very much so. Yeah, but there there is no there's no metric for maturity though either. Yeah. And we've we've seen I'll tell you I'll tell you you know we've interviewed and we you know we've seen things from well, are they are they are they shy? Are they scared? Mm-hmm. Um do they do they not care? Like just you know especially on Zoom you know people like we've seen things but especially on zoom we're like well zoom it's really it's tough you know it's a long interview it's a three-hour interview session like not we're not grilling them for three hours but there's you know different presentations that we do and there have certainly been students that just you know first impression we were a little worried about but there was plenty there to suggest that they they were capable and then they become you know just rock stars Mm-hmm. They don't not they they weren't rock stars coming in. Yeah. But it like four four weeks in and they're just in a zone and they we we've seen that change not just in a year but in like a semester and it's 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 really cool to see. So it it's it's not something that we we've learned over the years that it's not something that has to be seen coming in. It can be something that that is developed mm-hmm. it's like it's like it, you know if if you go to a gym and you look like you've never even looked at a weight in your life no one would look at that person and say oh they're gonna crush it but they came on a mission and they just start they, you know they go to the gym twice a day this that another thing they get on a nutrition whatever it is and they're off and running so I I, to, I totally get your concern. We have that same concern when we're when we're interviewing, but it's also it's also it's, it's even more. It's fun to see everybody succeed, but it's it's especially fun when there was just somebody you were a little bit just like I hope you're like it's a little bit more hopeful than mm-hmm. and uh, and when they when they kill it, it's really cool. It's yeah. really cool. I think that's probably the difference between your role and our role is that of course you're seeing this all the time and on my end i'm sort of when i have that conversation i'm kind of hoping that i'm having a conversation with the person who really can turn it into something and crush it and so it's i probably a little bit if you're on my end versus you're seeing it much more frequently well and also if you're having those kinds of conversations with sophomores and juniors yeah. I'm always talking to well not always I, I do speak with sophomores every now and then but it's it's most likely seniors and older right and you said earlier you know if you're in that second or third year post back isn't the conversation yeah. this is where we go back to taking out the distractions yeah. and focusing on what's happening in the moment right there is still that possibility of that upward trajectory there mm-hmm. is that focusing in on things and the possibility yeah. of pulling it together. Maybe mm. you don't need a whole post back program. Maybe things are starting to shape up and we just need to get creative about how we are crafting that. I, this is trite, but I think <laughs> it comes down to do you end on a plan or do you end on just like, I'm, I'm going to do it? 
like because hmm. because the upward trajectory is like you know when i when i speak with say a junior in their spring semester so they're finishing that up and then they've just got their senior year for that trajectory and it's like okay talk to academic coaching do this do that don't forget about this you know set that aside you don't need that it's just extra time you know just finish strong and when when i get feedback from a student that's like oh yeah you know what i've never tried academic coaching i'm gonna do that tomorrow and oh i hadn't thought of that yeah i'm gonna try that i'm i'm like i'm gonna see them again and it's gonna be good when when i hear a final it's like yeah that sounds good yeah upward trajectory yeah i'm gonna do that yep i'm gonna do that mm. it doesn't mean that they won't but that's the kind of like that doesn't sound self-reflective to me it sounds more like that's how i get what i want then i'll do that it's like but you have two and a half years of your college career down that window you always wanted that thing to happen and and you haven't done it yet how how are you going to do it it's not it's not a question that they can but just saying it doesn't do it um so i think we've talked a lot about sort of like getting to the post back can we transition a little bit about like what is life is like at the post back what's the environment like you know, Kimberly wrote some notes down, so I'm really just stealing her work if we're being honest with one another. <laughs> but it seemed like the next right place to go to in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, what what's life like when you're doing a health profession's post-bac? So words I wrote down here were cohort, friendships, mentoring, clubs, just life. Help them envision what this is. Sure. So this is where it's really important that I clarify. I'm only talking about Temple CST postback program with mm-hmm. any kind of authority or inside knowledge on this because every postback program is very very different. Mm-hmm. So our program it is a postback exclusive program in terms of who's taking what classes mm-hmm. uh, for the pre meds and dents. There's a few of our pre PA program uh, like the labs and stuff, and and they get mixed up mixed up mixed in with mm-hmm. uh, some of some higher level. Uh, bio majors um, with the Temple undergraduate population, mm-hmm. but they take most of their even the PAs take most of their classes with our uh, academic enhancer pre meds, and so you know we we always say to our students we want them to pr- we want them to approach our program like it is their first year of medical school or professional school, um, and. The cool thing about the cohort model is that it it very much has the feel or as close as could be engineered in an undergraduate area it has the feel of a professional school environment because you're surrounded by serious serious students who are all working towards the same goal um you know grading is done very much like professional school like you earn the a you get the a uh, so it's not a it's not a competitive environment where there's going to be um, you know cutthroat behavior going mm-hmm. on. Uh, some of our classes have been taught by Lewis Katz faculty, so the, it's it's 16 weeks instead of like five or however <laughs> how, however fast it's taught in medical school. But so it's it's like a team, and without the cutthroat behavior, I mean you can't turn off competitiveness. Like some people are going to be more competitive than others. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you see that support system amongst the students like not everybody is everybody's best friend like that's that's not realistic but you you do see people making what certainly seems to be lifelong friends study friends you get to see like oh i'm good at that and they're not i'm going to help them with that and they can help me with my thing and it's just it's also just nice to know that people are realizing that other people make mistakes because i think that's that's something that people hide at some of the more cutthroat undergraduate situations it's just yeah. like everybody's just like oh yeah i'm i'm just naturally good at this i'm 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 sleeping 14 hours a day and partying as much as i want and just getting a's like nobody does that um and so i think the cohort part is you know friendships relationships all those kinds of things it's that is the the secret ingredient so to speak um, there are post-bac programs out there that are, you know, take classes with our undergrads. Mm-hmm. And um, there's certainly going to be students who can succeed there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I like our model, of course, but I'm going to say that anyway. Um, well, I, I would like to think that you your model is chosen because you feel it works for the students that you recruit. Right. Right. Because, you know, you know, we've talked about this. There's so much variance in these programs. And if you don't feel like you're a particular fit for a particular postback, like, please don't apply there. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the great things about Philadelphia and Philadelphia has a lot of postback programs. But if, mm-hmm. if you're not from a city, Philadelphia is a great place to do a postback because there's so much medicine in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. I mean, there's other cities that are too, but they can do their own podcasts. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, it, it, like Philadelphia is is a hub for healthcare. Yeah, and so students can, you know, come the summer before get get something in before the postback program starts. Mm-hmm. A lot of people end up doing things at Temple Hospital or elsewhere. Like Chop is a huge a huge poll in yeah. in Philadelphia. I must have filled out about 400 CHOP surveys over the years for post-bac students because mm. people want to work there and why wouldn't they? Um, but anyway, just to get back to, you know, what's a post-bac program like? I've, I've heard some students kind of jokingly say that you you have to make friends in the program because you're not going to see much of your undergrad friends or your high school friends or your hometown friends while you're there. And I think that's just the nature of the workload. And I think that's another way that you are prepared for the first year of medical school or dental school because that's a rough year. The fir- I mean, the whole thing's rough timeline-wise, but the first year is particularly difficult. Yeah. And all those kinds of sacrifices that's another question i ask on an interview day is you know what what have you sacrificed to get where you are and what do you think you're gonna have to sacrifice because that's another thing that students have not thought about at all if all they've been worrying about is i just want it yeah um so it's hard but you find those relationships and it helps you know, it's fun. Like being back on Penn State's campus, I actually so I hated, I hated my first year labs. I hated them because all of my friends weren't science majors, and so I had to go to this dungeon of a lab on Thursday nights for four hours. Yeah. And everybody that I liked was off doing whatever the heck else they wanted to do. And if 
they had been in lab with me, it would have, I still would, we all would have rather been doing something else, but we, we were all doing it together and that would have been better. And I, so I don't know, I can't speak for the students, but I, again, it's just, it's possible in a, in a cohort based program where it's, it's a lot less likely in a, yeah, the community looks different. Yeah. I mean, that's great. So one of the topics that a lot of my students ask me about specifically with postback programs, and I think you know what I'm going to ask about, is linkages. Can you tell our listeners what a linkage is, who they are for, and who they are not for? Because on the surface, gosh, do they sound attractive, but mm-hmm. they are not much like postback programs themselves, they are not a silver bullet. So before I was director of the program, I was I was linkage director for five plus years. And our program has linkages with Lewis Katz, of course. We have linkages with SUNY Downstate. Mm-hmm. We have a basic core linkage with GW. And um, we also have linkages for the DO route with Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. And we have linkages with um, Temple School of Podiatry and SUNY Downstate's PA program. Cool. Every single one of them is different. <laughs> um, so the thing that folks need to understand most about linkage is that it's it's the school's playground. It's not the postback program's playground. They make mm-hmm. the rules. We just play there. And if they change the rules, then we have to change the way we play. Yeah. Um. So linkage, <laughs> the first, there's so many different ways of saying linkage. Mm-hmm. So there's articulation agreement. There's uh-huh. pipeline program. There's there's some like there's there's like a Latin one. I I always forget. It's like modus operandi yep. something something. <laughs> um. So, but the the most generic form of linkage is that it's a it's a it's another application that you start once you're in a postback program. And it's to try to start med school or professional school immediately following the end of the postback program. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, most of our students don't pursue linkage. So they come to the, they come to the postback program, then they take a year off to take the MCAT and apply, and then start med school the next year. That sounds healthy to me. Um, continue. <laughs> yeah, linkage. You know, so they they go through the program and then they have to sit for the MCAT. Um, on the school's linkage timeline, which is usually faster than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if everything is on target, then they could start in like a few months or maybe even weeks, depending on when the school start date is. So I'm, I'm getting heart palpitations. Yeah. <laughs> and I will never do that. <laughs> so the thing here, here's what I want everybody to know about linkage. And I've actually only crystallized this thought in the last year or so mm-hmm. because there were, you know how it's like a student will ask you a question a certain way that mm-hmm. makes you realize what they've been thinking in a way that you just never, it mm. never hit you that way. The insight was there. Right. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked me a question and it made me realize that students thought that linkage timelines were like a fair expectation like a reason like this is what's best for somebody who wants to go to school here like in general 
And, and, you know, if, if, if this gentle kind offer is not something that you can achieve, well, then maybe you should reconsider like that was when, what I can't, I couldn't tell you, I think my mind was so blown by whatever they said. I'm like, oh my gosh, they think that this is reasonable and it's not, it's doable. I'm not trying to trash the linkage, the the linkages, right. I'm just saying like this, like this is you want to you want us to save you a seat as an incomplete applicant for a year and then start med school well then this is when we need your MCAT score by for our admissions timeline. Yeah. And I do not envy med schools their admissions workflow. I mean they've got so much to do. Yeah. So when they say this is when we need your score by that's when they need it by. And yeah. you either give it to them on time or you don't. Yeah. And it's not meant to be mean, but it is certainly not designed for the just the best case scenario for success for the the, the student in general. Yeah. If that makes sense. And 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 that's when I, I was like, oh, this is even worse. Like, you know, because everyone's in a rush. Everybody loves linkage because it sounds like it's a shortcut because it saves you a year. Mm-hmm. Everything else about linkage is harder. There's more work piled on top of all the coursework you're doing. There's all the, am I going to get an interview? Like, yeah, you're going to get an interview because we did a deep dive on your eligibility, but they don't send out the invites for like two months. So just sit tight. But am I going to get one? Yes. But but all of that, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I would be the same way if I were, yeah, it's like I, sure. I, I applied. I'd like my response. Yeah. Um, so... Yes, linkage is not a shortcut, even though it can save you a year. It is based on just what the med schools need. Mm-hmm. And if if a student doesn't have that, then let go of the linkage and, quote unquote, just apply broadly. Um, I mentioned this incomplete applicant aspect of things. So that's what a postback student is doing when they apply for a linkage. They're like, hi, I'm not ready to apply for med school right now, but I sure hope that you think I'm ready for med school in a year. Yeah. And because I'm in this program, I'd sure like to be considered for that. And so med schools are going to look at what a student does have and they're going to like, all right, well, you're asking me to save you a seat right now when I have 14,000 applications that Mm -hmm. I could fill that seat with right now with no questions. Yeah. And so whatever they do have has to project towards the gaps being filled in at the level that the schools feel comfortable with. Yeah. And so this leads to really, really hard cutoffs for a lot of schools. Yeah. And people get very, very frustrated. And I get it. You want to go there earlier than earlier than later. But it, you know, just to go back to my fairly weak analogy, like, a lot of the allopathic linkages in particular, th- those are for triple A post students. Mm-hmm. Like have a decent case that they should already be in med school. Maybe they were maybe they have a subscore that was concerning on the MCAT. Or they just needed to prove it for a year in yeah. something like that. And maybe some double A's can 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 make the leap if their numbers are okay. Yeah. But you know, again, it's their sandbox. And if, if they say, you know, it must be this tall to ride and you're not that tall to ride, you're not riding. And, um, and and there's, it's just like anything with med school, you can either get angry about it Mm -hmm. or you can just go, 
all right, well, I've got some growing to do. I'm going to go take care of that. I'll be back. Yeah. If linkages were easy, everybody would do them. Right. Everybody would be doing them. Yeah. What a great way to get fast tracked in if I'm already ready. If, if it if it were that easily attainable, everyone would do that. Yeah. So my understanding is that linkage originated for career changers. Mm-hmm. It was for people who really had been out in the world making money probably have at least a partner and kids and they can't take two years off from that like one year to do classes and then another year just to wait you know maybe yeah. they can't get there and and so that's that's my understanding i wasn't i wasn't there <laughs> but uh that's my understanding but it, it's obviously evolved since then and now it's 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 quite nice that you don't have to have kids to be eligible for linkage yeah but at the same time, it's 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 not just there to have a faster second chance workout. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I kind of tend to put these things to my students in terms of okay, you want to be a physician in the future, and you're telling me that you think that you should do it faster and with fewer qualifications than everyone else. When you think of physicians as a whole, as a career that you want to be a part of in the future, mm-hmm. do you think that they should be compromising their standards? That <laughs> <laughs> gives them pause for a minute. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, they are looking for something really specific. They've identified what they need in a student for them to be successful in their program yeah. in order to become the type of physician that they hope to graduate yeah. in the next few years. So everybody wants to be an exception mm-hmm. to all the rules. Being an exception makes you feel special. But sometimes you need someone to sort of press pause for you and phrase it to you that way before yeah. you realize kind of what you're asking. Yeah. I think it also – it's also important that they understand that it, it is not easier there, – there, there isn't a lowering of standards. Mm-hmm. And that's another that's, – that's something that I, I tell our students on interview day. It's like, look, there is no magic button. There is no secret handshake. There is no red phone that if you interview and they say no thanks that I can pick up or press <laughs> and just be like, yeah, you are taking that. Like that's not how this works. And yeah. like if, if somebody doesn't have what they're looking for, like, oh, yeah, we expect X number of hours in this. Like they, they won't tell me everything they're looking for. They really only give us the metrics for, you know, the cutoffs and then yeah. it's all up to their admissions process. But that's another thing that students think all the time is like, oh, I'm, I'm never going there then. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you're not linking there. That's all that means. It's just, it, yeah. it's, 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 it's different. and it's not, it, it's easier applying broadly because then you, it's all of you, right? Like, yeah. if there's a hard line in the sand on a GPA for a linkage, like, you're done. But if you have everything filled in, if your GPA is 0.01 lower than what they're kind of looking for, but you've got all this other stuff that makes you great, mm-hmm. you're going to get an interview. But linkage is – you won't because, again, you're asking to be fast-tracked. And so it really is harder yeah. to link. I just want to say one more thing about linkage, and I know you know this, <laughs> but be wary of what's actually guaranteed in, yes. in language. Uh-huh. Um, actually just discovered that somewhere on our own website there is a guarantee somewhere that I was not happy to see that so that's gone but um, 
you know, anything that talks about guaranteed interviews, guaranteed acceptances, this, that, and the other thing, a guaranteed interview is not a guaranteed acceptance. Yeah. And I think a lot of people see that and they will pay tens of thousands of dollars thinking that that's what that means. Yeah. And it's not what that means. It, it, it could be what it means elsewhere. But I will tell you right now, there are no guaranteed acceptances through any of our linkages at Temple CST. So... I can only think of one guaranteed acceptance, and it's a very specific program for a very specific profile of students, and it's for people who have been historically excluded from the health professions. Right on. And you have to live in a specific state. You have to have graduated <laughs> from certain high school. Like, it is so restrictive. Yeah. Well, I, And that's the only one I've ever heard of with a guaranteed acceptance. So this is – so. I, I do want to touch on the Lewis Katz postback program briefly, because while I don't speak for them, what what if you apply to Lewis Katz's advanced core or academic enhancer program, you're actually applying to medical school. So it's it's through postback Katz, it's through a postback Katz application, but your interview day is a Lewis Katz medical school interview day. Interesting. And when you are accepted, you are actually conditionally accepted into Lewis Katz's program. Mm. And you just have a put up or shut up year yep. where you need a certain GPA and you need to, to, to nail the MCAT and then you just keep going. But like you're literally pre conditionally accepted into Lewis Katz's program. And I know that there's other programs like that. Yeah. But you have to meet certain standards. Oh, it's, not a, it's not a guaranteed acceptance. It, like you said, it's conditional. You right. have to meet conditions. That one program I'm talking about is guaranteed no conditions. Oh, without conditions. There's no conditions. Holy cow. Now, having said that, this program is designed for people who are basically good enough to already be in medical school. Right. They right. just barely miss the cut and they have to meet all these other things. Right. So like this is someone that's like – Instead of putting them on a wait list, I'd like to accept them after they've had this experience. Right. That's basically what that program is. But, like, you can't apply for it. The medical school has to initiate it. Oh, boy. Okay. So, like, it, it doesn't even help you to know about it. It's not traditional in any <laughs> sense. Of... It is the weirdest program I have ever heard of. Does it have a very important role to play? Yes. It's at nod and a wink. Med it medical is. school. Yeah. And it's serving a very specific purpose. I am so grateful that it exists. But that's the only one that I know of that's unconditional acceptance. Everything else comes with conditions. Yeah. So we're sort of narrowing in on the end. If you have one major piece of advice for students who are considering postbacks, what do you want to leave them with as the last thing that you want them to know, know or be thinking about? There's a lot of a lot I could say here. I think to keep it brief because I have talked too much is uh, <laughs> not in this room. <laughs> I th I it'll it, I want to talk about the personal statements for post back applications. Oh, interesting. And and this kind of just wraps up a lot of what we've been talking about. So when I read applications for a post back program, I I do not need your pre-med or pre-dent personal statement. Interesting. I what I would like to see is why do you need a postback program? Like this is your best opportunity to demonstrate that you have evaluated yourself. And even if you don't have the solution, like you know how how to fix it, you're aware of 
of an issue or a problem, or you, you, you can identify something that you did that has put you in a position where you are. And even if, you know, it has been a family member who's been ill for three years, okay, that's horrible. Obviously, that would affect anybody's academic performance. But, you know, what could you have done differently so that, you know, could you, you know, like, I should have taken time off from school or, you know, I tried to do too much. I didn't talk to an advisor. I didn't go to office hours. Like, what is it that a student could take ownership of to explain how they could have done at least a little bit better had they done it? And it's not about apologizing. Mm-hmm. It's not about... It's it's not a competition in 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 trashing oneself. That's not the point. The point is, by spending money on a post back application, you are acknowledging that you you need to improve to achieve your professional goals. I know what a student need where they need to be to 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 get to where they want to be, but I don't know where every student is on their way to being that that person. Yeah. And it's not that you're supposed to be when you apply, but you're supposed to be self-aware. And and the more of a plan that you have about your personal approach for why it's going to work out this time, the more powerful your personal statement is to me. Now, I'd still love to hear why you want to be a doctor or a dentist. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't just want the copy pasted like this is what I was going to apply to med schools with personal statement. I see them a lot and it's not a deal deal breaker. Mm-hmm. But again, that's the first opportunity to like what's going to be different this year. Yeah. And um, especially if somebody if they know their number, like maybe they've been out of school six years. They never thought they could be a doctor because of wh- whatever it is. But yeah. they've been. They've been off in the world doing really powerful work for four, four to six years, and yeah. boy, are they ready to make a difference, and they just can't live with themselves without shooting their shot to try to get back into this. You know, oftentimes, they have the most to say about, you know, why they're ready, and, and, and you know, it now's the time and all those kinds of things. And so, because everybody wants to be a doctor and dentist and a post-bac, but mm-hmm. not everybody wants to evaluate themselves. So I would say, think long and hard about that. Talk with your pre-health advisors yes. and, uh, and, and think about that because it's, you know, I'm at the risk of running over even longer on yet another answer. Whatever. Um, <laughs> imposter syndrome is a major factor in a- academics these days. Yes. And if if you don't have goals and a plan for improving when you're about to invest more time, money and effort into something and you're literally just hoping it's going to work out, that can lead to a higher prevalence of imposter syndrome. Yeah. And um so just another reason to again be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and I guess one last thing, just <laughs> very quickly, if you don't get into a postback program the first time you apply, do not take that as though the postback program is saying you can never be a doctor or a dentist. Mm-hmm. It means that their program wasn't going to be right for you that year. Yeah. And they probably just saved you a bunch of time and money. Yeah. And again, talk with your pre-health advisors get a plan, spend a little bit more time in, in the, in the biz, so to speak, and then try again. Yeah. And, um, 
because uh, unfortunately what nobody wants to hear is sometimes the, the thing you have to do is wait and yeah. and if that's not okay that's that's the biggest difference in people who eventually make it and who don't because uh, it, it's just uh the only guaranteed way of not making it is to quit when somebody mm -hmm. you know puts up an obstacle in front of you so i think that i think that covers it right, cool kimberly do you have any other questions that you'd like to ask i don't think that i do Okay. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, you know, Bob, we can call him Bob. You should call him Dr. Rare. <laughs> uh, made the big old drive from Philadelphia. But if you have any interest, if you're a Penn State student and would like to talk to Dr. Rarig, reach out to one of us in pre-health advising and we can connect you. I see he is happy to talk to Penn Staters. Uh, if you're one of our listeners at another institution or in another country, that may be more difficult. Um, but, you know. There is always someone who's be who would be happy to talk to you about postback programs. So I think that's where we're going to end this episode. Bob, thanks again for your time. My pleasure, and yeah. and for chatting with us. This is uh, you know we love getting to have these conversations with folks, and it's it's fun to bring in a friend sometimes too. So it's always right. fun to be here. All good. Mm. That makes <laughs> us feel good. Well. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. We'll see you next week. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system.